0: Hi, I'm Rachel,
1: and I'm Lori, and we're the Sex Positive Christian Feminists.
2: Hello, and welcome to another Tuesday morning with the Sex Positive Christian Feminists. Um, How are you doing, Lori?
1: Good. I'm glad to see you. I feel like it's just been so long. We took a break for so long that I feel like it's exciting to see your face.
2: I know. We've been like... I've been traveling and moving and you've been moving and traveling because that's your lifestyle um, yes. for the past month. And finally, things have like settled into something where we can actually connect again, which is
1: so nice. It is nice. It is really good. Right before we started recording, we started talking about ego and releasing ego and we were like, we need to start pressing record because we're starting to get into good <laughs> juice. <laughs> but yes,
2: Um and I am super curious because the idea for today is that we're going to talk about some of Lori's holy discontent, which we can also discuss what a holy discontent yeah. actually means because I kind of love that phrase, but imagine that it could mean different things to different people. Um, so your holy discontent, what is it? And we can just chat it up about that. And I'm sure that at some point, ego will come into the conversation. because I'm sure it will. Okay.
1: Okay, so this is something that I am, so this phrase I'm getting from Morgan Cecil, who is a coach, sex coach, embodiment coach, and now becoming a business coach. And she's incredible. And I've been doing some programs with her and, or a program with her. And she talks about what is your holy discontent? And I've been thinking about what is the thing for me that I feel like I just, if I could just get all the women in my world in a circle, all the women who are deconstructing, all the women who grew up in fundamentalist Christianity, all the women together in a big circle, and I could just yell into a microphone and convince them all to do this one thing. And I feel like I can see how the deep need for it would be be for us to get out of our heads and into our bodies and I know, Rachel, you have definitely been pissed off about this before. <laughs> I remember um, one time you even said, like, I don't want to talk about is Noah's Ark real or not anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like, I just want, I don't know what your conclusion was, but part of me is like, as I think about you saying that, I'm like, I just want women to have more orgasms. or I just want women to start dancing all the time. Or I i want every woman who is asking a question about, is the Bible real Or is the Bible, of course it's real, but is the Bible, (laughs) it really does exist. We haven't made it up in our heads. But is the Bible um, like literal or any of those things? Like if every single person asking that question instead moved into their bodies, I think we would have an entirely genuine and real liberation instead of the liberation that we are trying to aim for by trying to create logic around justice and it's pissing me off okay I love the phrase trying to create logic
2: before justice what do you mean by that (laughs) (laughs) also everything else I totally agree with and love. yes I knew
1: you would agree with this I knew you would agree um Okay, so it all comes back to Audre Lorde, as all things should. And the idea that when we disconnect from desire, when we disconnect from the erotic, we end up participating in being, she talks about aphids being psychologically milked for the benefit of the oppressor. So we... Instead of, the, the example I keep thinking of is cubicles. So instead of getting the job we actually desire and following our desire, we end up going and participating in the capitalist system that we claim to abhor because it doesn't feel, it, it's not logical to quit your job and travel the world and live out of a suitcase. It's not logical. Or to, to have a sex coaching business or to quit your job and become a stay-at-home mom, because that gives you more joy, or whatever else it is, or to stop being a stay-at-home mom, even though your husband makes enough money, because you want to go have a career in some way. Whatever it is, we choose to opt out of the body, and we choose to opt into a place of logic, and we disconnect from the actual things that we want. And oppression exists in a place when we disconnect from desire. That's what oppression is. It's when people cannot act on their desires. So, and that can be big things, like someone's not free, or it can be in, a, in the way that, you know, Betty Friedan talks about the feminine mystique and we're women trapped in these suburban houses. It can be in all the different ways. When we're not free to pursue our desires, that is a lack of liberation. And so what we end up doing while we're all trapped in this little container is we want to read more liberation theology. And that's good. Like read liberation theology. It's, it's a wonderful afternoon of James Cone, like do that. But also reading James Cone, he's going to talk a lot about really important things that are going to be useful to, to, to know, but are only useful as tools to get you down the path of liberation but if you're not currently comfortable, aware of or connected to your desires, you're not going to know like you're not going to want know what to do with those tools. You're not going to know how to step forward and be liberated. And OK, so. OK, I'm going to pause there because I could go on. Up. There's there's another tangent that I was ready to go on on there. And so I'm just going to pause. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. What I love
2: is a couple things that I wanted to just like repeat and highlight is if we cannot pursue our desires, that is oppression or a lack of liberation.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then a key piece of that is that so much of so many of us in the society that we've been raised in, whether that be from pure culture, or just capitalism or just societal expectations around what is an appropriate job for us. I mean, I'm thinking of this as somebody who, had a college degree, has a college degree from a really great institution, and then went to massage therapy school. Like That was me pursuing a desire that was not logical. That was totally based in embodied desire. But so often, we get socialized out of even being connected to what our desires are, and then we are oppressed or have a lack of liberation simply because we don't even know how to get back to our desires and I'm thinking specifically for myself of realizing at a certain point that my husband and I have a, a mild addiction to spindrift which is a form of seltzer and so we have like multiple flavors all over the apartment always and I would realize I would go for the seltzer that had the most left even if I wanted a different flavor and so a simple way of being like I am So out of touch like it wasn't even that I wasn't I didn't have a desire or that I couldn't be aware of the desire once I tuned into it but my default was to do this thing that I felt was caring for the collective as opposed to tapping into my desire and being like I want lime even though there's only one lime left I want the lime flavor instead of the grapefruit or whatever and I think it's like those small desires in addition to the larger desires of what do I want for my life in these bigger pictures? Where do I want to live? What job do I want to have? What shape do I want my life to have, et cetera?
1: I love that you use the phrase instead of what was good for the collective, because this is the other thing that I think is part of my holy discontent, is that what we end up doing then is, is so in this span of wanting to think about justice, we think about what is good for the collective, what is good for the collective. Now, that's great. We should be thinking about what's good for the collective in a lot of ways. Members of oppressed groups are already encouraged to think about the collective because they're supposed to think about the other because they're supposed to think about the oppressor. They're supposed to gear themselves to think about others at all times. That is the initial way that we are conditioned. So if you are listening to this and you are a white man who is straight, cis, economically stable, You should think about the collective. That is a good thing to think about because you've been conditioned to think about yourself. But if you are a woman, if you're queer, if you're BIPOC, if you are any type of person who has been conditioned to not think about yourself, you need to right now get really fucking selfish because the last thing racism, patriarchy, capitalism, imperialism, and white supremacy want you to do is think about your desire they want you to sacrifice your desire to care about the collective but not the collective in a nice sitting in a circle marxist kind of way but sitting in the thinking about the collective so that you're giving of yourself in a way where you are not in nobody nobody the system is designed to not think about you that's why it sucks <laughs> mic drop we're just going to end there you can just replay that 20 times
2: and get yourself of us for so weak um more seriously though that's a tall order right if you're Mm. somebody who's constantly in a state and who's been super socialized your whole life to say my desires matter a little bit right like I can have the desire to wear pink instead of blue Right. Or like there's these little things I can decide kind of what I want to have for dinner, except also at the same time, I have to consider what like society thinks I should be eating as a female or how much I should be eating as a female. All those weird things that we get taught. How do you start to even like shift that? And also like why? Here's another weird question is like, why is it that this is arising now? Like, what is it about? time frame or this era or what is it about our society that's allowing us to get to the point where we can question this now because I'm thinking I don't know I'm currently like living with my parents and a lot of times when we talk about this kind of thing it's like there's a there's a generational disconnect of like but we weren't thinking about this stuff we just accepted all of this so like what's different now I don't know if you've thought about that I have some ideas but
1: Well, for me, I'm, so I, like I said, I've been taking classes with Morgan Cecil and she asked, what is your holy discontent? And part of that was to prepare this program that if you follow me on Instagram, you've seen me talking about called the High Priestess Path beta program, which I'm building. And if you're interested in liking anything I'm saying, go to my Instagram, click on the link, let's chat. But I think for me, that's why, because somebody said, what really pisses you off? And I was like, oh. Oh let's get pissed off like I don't want anyone I I'm happy to talk about I'm doing a live tomorrow in my Facebook group about feminist theology and I'm happy to talk about feminist exegesis and I paid a lot of money for Elizabeth Schuster Fiorenza to teach me how to do exegesis so I I am very very happy to talk about it but at the same time I'm kind of like does it matter and this is where I'm mad but then so that was the one question so I'm going to go first with the second question you said is, why generationally is this happening? I think it's not happening to our generation uniquely. I think, I mean, Audra Lorde is a boomer, or she was. She's passed away since. And so is uh, James Baldwin. Um, so Alice Walker, um, Bell Hooks. These are people who are our parents' age, if not older. And I think what's happening is white people are catching up to the revolution. That's what I think is happening. I think that our parents missed the revolution. I think it started in the 60s, in the 70s, and it was happening in the 80s. And these mind shift shifts were already happening. And what I get concerned about, if anything, is that people... And I love all these people, all these writers that I'm about to name, I love all their books and I enjoy them. But when people mention Richard Rohr and say, oh, Richard Rohr thought about this idea called the Universal Christ, and it's like, no, <laughs> Richard Rohr didn't think of the universal Christ. James Cohn was talking about the universal Christ. He didn't use that phrase maybe, or maybe those ideas didn't exist. But this is coming at that comes out of black liberation theology. It doesn't come from a white Benedictine monk or Franciscan, is he Franciscan? Franciscan monk. didn't didn't come out of his head. He was not the originator of it. Or Rachel Held Evans, who I adore. I think that she's great. But some of these concepts about rights and justice and all these things, she learned by reading womanist theology. She didn't come up with it on her own. Critiques about purity culture in so many of these books that we're reading, those books are coming from people who grew up in purity culture, but they're citing ideas from feminists that we're standing on their shoulders. So I think the revolution happened. I think it already it already started. I think we're, we, our parents missed it. And I think we're catching up. And I think we need to remember that, because I definitely think it's something that white people are catching up to not something that our generation is suddenly like figuring out and blooming forward. But then to answer your question, like how do we start? I was thinking about this too, because I, I want, because it's a holy discontent, right? I want to actually gather as many women into a room as possible and scream this in a, in a nice way that reflects more like podcast or a program and not. Why does it have to be nice? <laughs> well, because I actually want to help people, but I okay. want it to be useful. <laughs> um, uh, but, it, but I realized that my relationship with desire didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen because I read a book or it didn't happen because I did an exercise that I found in a book or because I listened to a podcast or met someone who was really into desire it's, it happened because I marinated. We've been marinating for 2,000 years in patriarchal understandings of God. And desire is connected to that. We've been, and so women have been conditioned in this, what I call the good Christian woman mold, where we have to disconnect from our desires. Everything we want and everything we need is connected to our future husband, our current husband, Or fitting into the community and taking care of the collective. And so our desires are are something we disconnected from. I've been marinating in patriarchy for 34 years. And when I started my exploration into desire, I'd been marinating it for 25, 26 years. So it doesn't just take a snap trick. It takes marinating. More and more marinating. And if it takes 28 days to form a habit... We need to work really hard to integrate a value of desire into our everyday life. That is why the High Priestess Beta program that, I've, that I'm building is 50 days. Consistent 50 days of community work, of coaching, of collective exercises and groups, and working together and holding one another accountable beginning with desire, and of course it, marinade, it, it marinates, it trickles into all these other facets of our spirituality so that it can become something that is truly rooted in who, who we are and becomes a part of our DNA. And I think if we want to make desire a part of our life, it has to be a consistent, consistent, consistent practice.
2: I love a couple things about that. One is that whenever I'm talking to people about like, why can't I just get this in a book? Right. I think we talked about this before where like, there tends to be a tendency amongst evangelical communities to want to have a book. But I also think just generally we're like, well, books are like 20 bucks at most. Like, If I just get a book, then I can read it. I can do the things that are in the book and then I can move on. But the reality is is that when you read a book, how often do you actually do those exercises that are listed in the book anyway? You sort of like pick and choose them a little bit more and then you're not really getting everything out of it. I think also you read a book and you get as much out of something as you put into it. it. And a lot of times that also equates to how much money we put into something. And I know you haven't touched on this, but there's a way that if I am getting a cup of coffee for $0.50, I'm going to take less time. I can chug that thing and not care about it. But if I'm paying $6 for a latte, I will likely take my time to savor that because there was more cost involved. And I think it's the same way when we're doing things that relate to like growth work and personal growth work in specific or even spirituality is like whatever amount of energy I'm putting into it is what I'm going to get out of that and so with having a whole 50 days having a lot of time to actually devote to something you're going to get more out of it than you will if you read a book over the course of a week or even over the course of a month
1: I think that that's really true and I think that that's also one of the reasons why this is getting away from the holy discontent but it's kind of I mean We've talked about this before, but I think it's also why I don't necessarily know if I ever want my programs to scale. Like a lot of people in business talk about scaling, scaling, scaling. And there's a lot of programs that you can pay $300, $400 for that are being offered in bulk that you get the recordings and then you never hear from the coach. You never talk to them. You never get personal connection with them and when they're offered in bulk like that they can be extremely useful but they can also not not have the accountability that's really really required for personal shifts and i know that for me the in in my deconstruction work as well i i did mini programs i read so many books but it was the big It was the big investments where I was sitting in face-to-face with people that actually offered the major shifts in my life that I sit back and I remember. And that to me – and actually, then when I think about every single person who's a leader right now in the deconstruction work, I don't know about you, Rachel, but I feel like a lot of them have done Layla Martin's programs – a lot of them have done Regina's programs. A lot of them have done uh, um, Kasha Urbaniak's programs, or they're intertwined in these programs. I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's other big coaches that I feel like a lot of people, but I feel like I've met a lot of people who are like swimming in that world. And and for those who don't know, these are these are embodiment sex coaches, these are feminist leaders, these are power dynamics leaders that offer these type of immersive intensive programs and when we're diving into these life shifts it's when we really need these guides to come along and support us so I mean I would definitely say if you're looking to step into your full liberating power invest in one of these programs because they exist in many ways, to give you that immersive experience that you're looking for. They exist for those shifts. I've read a lot of books that have changed my life. But the, let me say this. I've read a lot of books where I finished it, and I said, that fucking changed my life. But in a week, I was back to my old patterns. I have never, ever, ever did an immersive program That in a week, I was back to my old patterns. That's just, they're just not designed to do that. They're designed to create change.
2: Yep. I also think that there's... I mean, I haven't done Layla's program because she's never really resonated with me. Like, I've liked her at a distance. But whenever I get closer, I'm always like, this is not the kind of... I want something more grounded. I realize that she's super intelligent and that she does have a grounding energy of her own, but it's not the grounding that I resonate with. Um, And there are a lot of sex coaches who have gone through her programs. And that sex coaching is very different from what my program was, which is far more scientifically oriented rather than like energetically or sort of emotionally based, which is really interesting to be like, Yes, you can go to those people for certain things, but there's also a, a line of, like, there are certain things that I was taught how to actually treat according to, like, a, a more scientific model. Um, regardless.
1: Well, also, if somebody wants to go to Layla for one-on-one sex coaching, I imagine you're paying $500,000. You don't do that anymore. a million she dollars. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't really offer that. that.
2: She <laughs> trains other people to be
0: yeah.
2: coaches. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's like a, there's something in that, that I think we, we can, that, I mean, that goes back to the scaling thing that you mentioned, is like, as a business owner, are you trying to scale, or are you interested in working with individuals that you actually want to work with one-on-one? Um, kind of a tangent. What I really wanted to get to, though, is that you want to find somebody a teacher who resonates with you knowing that even if it's the person who's the most popular or even if it's the person who's you know been in Cosmopolitan magazine and done all this stuff like if that person's energy isn't fully resonating with you it's not worth your time because they're not where you need to be um and I think There are a lot of people out there that I follow on Instagram or that I do different things with. And it's like, it's not the right timing. It's not the right timing for me to work with them if it's, if it doesn't feel fully resonant. And I think that's a part of the following your desire versus following like what the community or what the collective says or wants or whatever. And I think that can happen a lot um, with those bigger named people. And that's why it's just so important to find somebody who resonates so that you're not just finding yourself in a sea of other people trying to figure out, like, what if this is really for me and what am I really ready for? Sure.
1: I mean, for me, if if somebody here go listening, like, does, can, like, looks up Regina and decides that sh- you want to do her work, do it. I mean, do it 100%. I also think – and I think, like you said, it comes down to where you want to invest. But I think even more, invest in something that is going to be life-shifting. I think if I were to... I want it. Well, yeah. So invest in... I think it goes back to logic. Because I know when I was a graduate student with a partner in seminary where we were making twenty thousand dollars a year, maybe thirty thousand if we were lucky, just scraping on by. And I didn't feel like I could afford a three hundred dollar course. And I'm really glad I didn't invest in a three hundred dollar course because that's where I think those things go back to our heads. Okay. And and I do want to pause here because if you're taking a $300 course and it's changing your life, I'm so happy. And I'm not trying to, and if you offer a $300 course and you're like, that's the fucking best course I've ever created, like, that's good. It's not actually about the price. When I say those things, I'm thinking in my head of something where they give you a book and they give you some recordings and you never see them ever. Totally. So that's actually what I want to get to. I think
2: part of what's really challenging about those is if you are the sort of person who has the, wherewithal to stick with it and do it it's going to be great but not everybody has that kind of level of of sort of consistency and commitment to something because I've definitely taken $300 courses that I've gotten a shit ton out of and I've loved but I also know that I'm the unique person who actually gets through them where like if you look at statistics on it it's like five percent of the people that buy courses like that actually make it through to the end
1: yes so so what I want to go back to is desire versus logic. Desire versus to do the thing that you're like that is the thing I need to do. That is the, that is the answer, that is the cue that I need. And my question becomes if we are not if we are so disconnected from our desire that we don't even necessarily know what church we want to go to we're so disconnected from our desire that we feel unable to figure out if we want to go to church or brunch or if we feel comfortable um I don't know if we we should go on a weekend trip to your local beach town or if we should actually go to Miami and drink margaritas and dance if we don't know which one we want and we're opting to make decisions based upon what is logical then then we're not actually stepping into our liberation we're not actually embracing liberation so i mean i think we got we we got in this beautiful nice gorgeous tangent about programs and desire which i think is important and that's part of it but i think i think it also comes down to something in the book pure she talks about this need to be good and wanting to be seen as good. And I think we have a problem, and I and what I'm starting to call this the good Christian woman hangover, where we want people to see us as good so deeply that we opt for what feels logical so that we can stay inside the realm of good. We want to know, so we stay in our heads because we're constantly worried about what's going to make us feel good. So we want to know the right exegesis of the clobber verses against women speaking so that people think we're good. We want to know the, we want to have the right biblical translation because we want people to to know that we're good, that our choice to join a progressive church is good. We want to be able to defend our, our choice to, we want to go through all of, I mean, it's good to go through your budget. I'm not saying like, Make a reckless decision because that also wouldn't be that shouldn't be in line with your desires. Or maybe it should be. Make a reckless decision if it if it is maybe make a reckless decision. <laughs> What's the bigger desire encouraged- behind the desire to break your budget? Yeah. I'm not encouraging anyone to go into debt because of desire, but follow desire. Um what is, yeah, what is the, if we're, if we want to, I noticed this this need in me when I was beginning deconstruction to prove why my desires were valid so that I wasn't, was seen as good. And that good Christian woman hangover is, it, it's dangerous because it exists to pull you back. You might not go back to, evangelical religion you might not go back to to that church or that marriage or that relation or whatever it is but you're going to continue in the patterns and it's the patterns that benefit the oppressor not the church you go to on Sunday mornings that's actually the I mean to follow Marx it's the opioid but if you're doing it without that that's great to to the to patriarchy that really, really wants to keep women small. So it's getting out of that, that hangover that I think is so valuable for women to do and to embrace what do they really, truly fucking desire. And again, like, maybe it's not even a program. Maybe you just desire to sit outside on your front lawn and sunbathe. Because I'm in Boston right now, and that sounds great, because even though it's August, it's freezing here. So... <laughs> Can I insert of I hate Boston comment.
2: I think yes. it was Mark Twain that said the coldest winter he's ever experienced was a summer in Boston.
1: Oh, that's so funny. Um,
2: and it's true. I always joke that I think that Boston summer should be shortened to just a bummer. Anyway. I, uh, I'm i so glad I'm not there anymore.
1: I am free of I Boston. I have to say, though. Speaking of following design. I will also say when I got here, though, I had such a breath of release this morning as I was thinking, like, oh, I need to go to CVS. Gosh, where is the closest, like, wh- where where can I find a CVS? And, like, my instinct when I get to a new place is, like, Google, where's the grocery store? Where's, like, where can I get stuff? And I was like, I know where the grocery store is. And that felt so good to be like, I can just walk to CVS. And I know where it is. I just, I know where it is. That's going to be so wonderful to go <laughs> not have to google it um but I yeah Mexico is lovely and I, I am happy to be in a place that I'm familiar with for a bit but yes to be able to to know what you want and to do it and honor it and celebrate it because like even right now I'm in Boston because it is in line with what I want I'll tell a story yesterday We, My boyfriend and I were visiting his parents at their place in New Hampshire, and it's lovely. It's wonderful there. But we both own our own businesses, and so we don't really entirely take vacation because our passion is infused in every single waking moment of our life. And as we were diving into our day yesterday, we realized that we were not going to get anything done while we were up in New Hampshire. We were getting nothing done and we played back and forth should we leave early should we not leave early and we we thought about it a lot and then both of us are two people who very much value our desires so he said i want to he just came upstairs and he was i want to leave tomorrow and i went okay and then an hour later he comes back and he goes let's leave tonight and both of our desires was to be working in a place that's quiet. That is more private. And so we came back down to Boston. And that ability to be able to tune into desire. And figure out what it is you want. Is also connected to figuring out what it is you need. Because Logic would have said. That we hadn't been around his parents for two months. And it's nice to visit family. And family's good. And those things are all true. But Desire dictates that something completely different. Desire dictates something else. And so he was clear on his desire. He went to talk to his parents and he was clear with them on the desire. And they were cool with it. They didn't care. Um, but that's I, guess, I think that's an example of even though I'm in, in Boston and I think Rachel and I smack on Boston all the time, this is actually like completely rooted in my desire for where I want to be right now because it is – It is where I want to be and it it fits into so much more joy and liberation and it is actually liberating to be here now.
2: In its defense it is a very grounding place. It is incredibly grounded in part because it is so intellectual and heady. So if you are someone who is more embodied And somehow, sometimes like following desires and following, this is an interesting tangent that we can go into also, is sometimes following desires or following your body or following like that sort of thing can feel a little ungrounded if you're not skillful in it. Because it can start from a place of like kid in a candy store and you end up following not so much your desires, but like an impulsive desire in the same way that if you let a kid go into a candy store, they eat all the candy and it's not really their their truest desires in a pure epicurean way where it's sometimes you withhold certain desires in order to get better desires in the future like you think about that long-term satisfaction out of getting something and boston is a super grounded place because everybody's so in their heads no one's really following their desires generally speaking so it's it can be very grounding And I think when when I first moved there, it was actually really healthy to be in a place where I was like, oh, now I'm actually getting more, I'm able to feel into myself more because there isn't much going on around me that is pulling me in other directions.
1: That's interesting. I would use the word heady as the opposite of grounding, but I think I know where you're going with that. I know. As I was saying it, I was like,
2: heady usually doesn't mean grounded, but in this case, it's like so intellectual and it's like based in the past so much that it's actually very grounded in a way that's like, to me, almost so grounded that it's depressing.
1: Interesting. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like. For me, it's just a place that's quiet right now, and that's that's what I needed. But i i find I find because you're talking about being in the head leads me back into this this concept for me that I talked about. I did a free workshop um, introducing the High Priestess Beta Program that talks about. I talked about how the all right the masculine exists in the heart the voice and the head and the feminine exists in the heart the gut and the root and the sacrum and in our culture in western culture we have very much started to value the heart the voice and the head and we even talk about this a lot I've noticed a lot of therapists talk about this too like what does your heart want and they connect very much to their heart and and this is kind of where I'm, I'm borrowing from Regina, but desire isn't in your heart. It's not just what your heart truly wants. It's in your stomach. It's in your feelings. And it's it's in your sacrum. It's in, for those with a pussy, it's in your pussy. It's in, desire comes from the root chakra where life comes from. So it comes from the place of the genitals. And I think... In the good Christian woman conditioning, you're not supposed to think about your genitals. You're not supposed to think about them at all. In fact, you're supposed to fully disconnect from them because you're supposed to pretend they don't exist and you're supposed to pretend that they don't show up until your wedding night. And then we're definitely taught to disconnect from our stomach because we're taught to disconnect from our emotions and we're taught to not trust emotions. I was even watching this youtube video that i was just horrifically curious about that was a christian or a conservative organization talking about deconstruction so i listened and they kept saying that deconstruction is emotional and what i think it really is is people getting connected to their fuller sense of their body and listening to that this is a bunch of bullshit feeling in their in their head as they're sitting in church or listening to something i'm also
2: thinking of just like your your belly and your stomach is also your hunger both in like mm. a physical sense of like yes. we're taught to ignore hunger as women um, and also hunger from like an emotional space of like what do you want what is your what are you hungry for in life
1: mm. yes so that and that's also one of the reasons why the word fire in the belly uh, or so Morgan uses the term fire fire in your belly too and it's the thing that's just like roaring up inside of you and and we're taught to, And as Christians, we're taught to disconnect from this earth in conservative Christianity because everything is up there. We're supposed to be looking up there. And even in our worship, we go up there and we forget about our roots. We forget about what anchors us to this earth and the sacredness of the fact that we come from earth, that we are earth. And we connect earthliness with evil. So you've got this entire lower parts of our body that we are taught to disconnect from and part of that is purity culture part of that is bad theology and part of that is patriarchy and all of this leads to women or what we're still doing in the deconstruction world is we're still looking to figure out what's going on up here and disconnecting from what's up here so while I'm totally down with reading books, while I'm totally down with watching videos and all that stuff and and learning and educating yourself about what's so broken about evangelical theology, it is not going to create new paradigms. It is not going to create liberating paradigms because we are still going to find ourselves con- disconnected from the other parts of ourselves we're going to disconnect from our roots. We're going to disconnect from our, our bodies. We're going to still be playing into patriarchy. We're going to still be playing into, I mean, the disconnect from our roots, I think, is a foundation of colonialism. I think it's a foundation of capitalism to make us disconnect from the earth. That's a whole other tangent. Um, but it, it makes us then stop seeing what is here present in front of us as sacred and I've talked about this before, is I don't want to get in another debate anymore. I don't want to debate anymore. I'm only interested in the type of theological conversations where it means I'm sitting and facing someone and looking them in the eyes, and I'm sharing my soul with them, and they're sharing their soul with mine. I'm no longer interested in a debate. If you disagree with me, that's great. But what I want to do is step into liberating paradigms of spirituality, where or our souls are going higher and taking our bodies with them instead of living in a space where we have the right answers i don't give a fuck about being right
2: and i think like to that point so many of the ideas around a right answer related to theology is because people haven't had an experience of god and I say that, and people are going to get pissed because I know some people feel like they've had an experience of God, and that's led them to the right answers in their head. You haven't had an experience of God, period.
0: I'm sorry. You haven't had an experience of God. What you've had is some really cool ideas about God that you think are an experience of God. But an experience of God is an, is inherently embodied. It's something that what Lori was saying. You're feeling it in your gut as much as you're having an experience elsewhere. And I think that that's not to say that mystical experiences are only for super privileged spiritual people. Everyone has access to an experience of the divine, but we need to stop equating an experience of the divine with a thought that we have in our head or an understanding of theology because it's just bullshit. And that's what leads us to patriarchal, colonialist, oppressive theologies is because we think that we can get it right in our ideas and there's this great line in the power of myth by joseph Campbell, where he talks about how he was at some conference or people were at some conference and it's like hearsay that this thing happened but i think it's probably true is that you have the theologians come from like a buddhist perspective and from a christian perspective and they can't have a conversation Because if your Christian theology is that Jesus is the one and only incarnation of God and you're a Buddhist and you're like, actually, there is no incarnation of God, but Buddha was a really important person, you can't debate that. There is no comparison there. You're just telling different stories. But when you got the monks together, the Buddhist monks or the Hindu monks and the Christian monks, then you actually get to have a conversation because then you're talking about what does it mean to experience God's love? What does that feel like? What does it feel like to lose your sense of ego and your sense of self, to realize that really we're only rooted in God and everything else that makes up who I am, my color of my hair, my job, who I'm related to even, that all of that is just constructs in relationship to something else. But my actual selfhood is rooted in something far deeper. That's a spiritual experience, and that's something that you can experience and understand regardless of what mythologies you wrap around your experiences of the divine. And that's what I think is way more important, and that's why, like, similar to Lori, I'm like, I don't care about debating whatever shit you want to debate regarding your theology. That's fun. That's interesting debate, but it's not, it's coming from an intellectual space. It's not coming from a real space of experiencing God. And if we are able to get down to that point of let's talk about our souls, let's talk about our actual experience of the divine and how that impacts how we want to live our lives, that's interesting to me. That's interesting to Lori.
1: Right. I think as you're saying this, I'm thinking about in my deconstruction, I didn't feel God for the longest time until I was a room full of women worshiping our vulvas. And then suddenly God showed up. And that was because God very much, and actually I honestly feel like it I equate this experience to listening to like at a Chris Tomlin concert where I gave my life to Christ when I said my my conversion prayer or my recommitment to Christ when I was 15. There's a whole other story. But I felt God there in this moment where I was like, yes, God. I will follow you with every fiber of my being. And that was one of the truest statements I made. And God was one thing in that moment, right? And I think a lot of the listeners know what that I meant when I say that God was one thing, but I was sincere in saying, God, I'm giving you everything. That same experience happens in a room full of a bunch of women worshiping their pussies, because it was this moment where God said, and I am in you too. Like, I am here, too. And this moment where it was in the body that I found God again. It was not in a book. It wasn't at any event. And there was this other video that I saw with this uh, progressive Christian and a conservative Christian debate LGBTQ uh, issues and marriage equality. It could have been written as two straight white men sit around and discuss some ideas in a really fucking old book because none of these people, these people were trying to make sense of something so deeply embodied because sexuality is an embodied thing that we're trying to make sense, logical sense of it when it doesn't, it's not rooted in that. It's rooted in something else. The other part of me wanted to say two straight white men talk about theology and prove to me that they're really bad in bed because they're also probably deeply disconnected from their bodies in this need and attempt to understand who God is by talking about this book that I like. I like a lot. I mean, somebody asked me, about the book of Esther and I think I talked to them this weekend for like an hour and I gave them way more information than they were interested in but I it is not the um it is not the beginning middle and end of who God is it is a reflection of who God is it's a reflection of what a bunch of other people thought of God and can give you some information Yes, and this is, and the other thing I was thinking as you were talking that I want to say is this is also one of the reasons why the High Priestess Path Program and, and why my other coaching programs talk about ancestors and getting connected back to our ancestors and our roots, um, not just our body roots and like standing in bare ground and just connecting to the earth, but our roots, our roots, our roots. Where is the primordial place of your ancestors? Who were they worshiping? How were they understanding the divine? And connecting back to that. Because I think something that happens a lot when we're trying to understand what it means to connect to the bodies is it requires us to appropriate other practices. And one thing that has very much been taken away because of Protestantism and colonialism getting in bed together is our relationship with the earth. And I think you see that even in Catholic practices in Europe, have traditions that are deeply connected to the earth because we left we left the sacred mountains, we left the sacred rivers, we left the streams, we left that them behind, and we came here and colonized other lands. And we didn't value these rivers, these streams, these mountains, these meadows, because our goddesses wasn't weren't in them. And that doesn't mean that you can only connect to the goddess of the Rhine or the the nymphs of the Mediterranean in order to be able to know who God is. You can find the divine here in Boston, Massachusetts, but it's in remember it's in remembering our ancestral goddesses and our ancestral practices and our ancestral um, understandings of God in the earth that brings us back to understanding who God is. So it's not, and that also isn't logical it's not going to be logical. I'm not going to be able to give you the historical evidence that your great 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 grandmother was a high priestess of this goddess temple. Not going to be able to find it. But it's something that you can only connect to when you're connecting to these. This part um, you can't see me when you're connecting to your. <laughs> <laughs> when you're connecting to to back to your sacrum, back to back to your your womb space your your stomach your your roots it's what you get when you connect back to that part of your body so desire is intertwined with body it's intertwined with ancestral practices it's intertwined with honoring your emotions it's intertwined with all of these things to be able to balance these masculine and feminine parts of ourselves and actually be able to that 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 is the what liberation is that is the liberation we're yearning for that is what we're looking for and that is so That's it.
0: Can you tell me a little bit more about this High Priestess program and like what – so we know it's 50 days. We know it's about connecting back to our bodies. What else is it? How many people are going to be in it? Is it just, you know, all that stuff? And also like when does it start?
1: So it's going to start on September 4th. And um, applications are open, so you have to apply. And it is going to be a small group. I don't want to have it tapped off necessarily, but I'm keeping it really intimate and small because I want to be able to connect with everyone intimately. And it is going to be, so it's beta. So that's a part of this problem with this question. <laughs> Beta means that it's in my head and as it comes out of my head, it evolves and shifts and changes. And it's already it's already said concrete things that have already changed. I think I think a few weeks ago it was eight weeks and then it became 10 weeks. And then, and other things have changed too. So, so I hesitate to say exactly the, all of those details, but this is what I know community program, meeting online two times a week, Uh, and I am going to be teaching how do we go from being afraid of being wrong, being stuck in the hangover of good Christian woman conditioning, the good Christian woman mold that we've been trying to fit in for so long. How do we break out of patriarchal ways of knowing God And step into liberating spirituality. And the reason I'm calling it the high priestess path is because so often we're looking for gurus. We're looking for the thing that's going to give us the answer. And it's stepping into your role and your place as the high priestess of your spiritual path and your spiritual location. Becoming the priestess of your life. So that when somebody comes up to you and says, what, you, you think women should be ordained? You can just smile and say, yes. And that can be the end of the conversation. You don't have this need to prove that you're good. And you can step into owning the power but it, and, and owning the power of the divine feminine. So going from fear into liberation going from feeling wrong to standing in your power. And it's going to be 50 days of marinating in that process together in a small intimate community with me in a lot of intimate spaces diving into what that truly means. And it's coming from it's it's literally what I wish somebody had handed me when I was in the beginning of my deconstruction process
0: so are you looking for people who are sort of at the beginning of their deconstruction process or like beginning to middle like what's the what are some of the like thoughts that Mm. might be going through people's heads that would indicate to you that like Mm. this is the perfect person
1: for this I think it's the person who there's no prerequisite in terms of like, you have to know this and this and this and this, but it is, it's definitely for people who want to understand how to understand God in a liberating way, not in a lim- limiting way. So if you're feeling stuck and wanting to know right answers and you don't feel liberated in your process of looking for right answers if you feel stuck in your process of looking for right answers this program would be for you if you are aware that you have very real privileges and very real and are oppressed in many ways as well and you want to understand how you can be a source of liberation and a source of liberation for yourself this program would be for you if you want to participate, create for yourself rituals that are liberating. This program would be for you. It's not for somebody who feels very confident in their own spiritual practices. It's not for someone who, who is very comfortable where they are. It's not for someone who is... If you know all the answers to the clobber verses and you, like if you're a priest, it's probably not for you. If you're a ordained woman and you're very happy in your spirituality. But then again, as I say that out loud, like I can think of some women who probably would be like, actually, I am a priest and and I want this too. So if you're thinking about for yourself, there is something, there is a root, there's a rootedness that I lack in my spiritual practices, then this program is for you. If you're looking to root yourself in spirituality in a way that honors the feminine and honors where you've been. I think that's the other thing because there's a lot of programs who do this who are about feminist spirituality and you can dance in goddess circles and all those things and they're amazing and they're wonderful. But I think what this program is uniquely situated for is a conversation about coming out of patriarchal religion and I think that's where it's unique. Is if we're talking about breaking out of patriarchal religion specifically. And
0: so, like, also as a group and community program, it's, like, you also get the support of having people who are along that same path with you. And I think that's something where I know for me, whenever I've been in group programs, there's a part of me that's felt sometimes like, mm, but do I really want a group program? Because that feels like less than a one-on-one thing or something like that. But the reality is that whenever I've been in those spaces – You learn so much by hearing other people's stories and by seeing yourself in those other places.
1: Liberation requires community. Like I do one-on-one and I've been doing one-on-one and it's great and I love it. But every single one of them at the end is like, I wish this was a community. I wish this was a community. I wish this was a community. And the other thing I've noticed so often in working with, places that are not connected to deconstruction work, which is a new thing, very much a new thing, is when I would share something about how I grew up, the responses to how people were so shocked at what I was taught was very difficult for me to deal with because it was like people didn't get it. And this is one of the reasons why, as I was going through my deconstruction, I was like, I'm I'm going to create a program for women who are going through what I'm going through right now because this is, it is so difficult for A, people to say, oh no, I'm, I'm a pastor. I know how patriarchal religion can be. And that woman who was a pastor who said that to me is a UCC pastor, which is a great denomination, but they ordain, they're so freaking progressive that her telling me that she understood how I was raised because she grew up in the UCC church and she was bothered by the patriarchy of the UCC church. I was like, you don't understand at all what I'm talking about. Whereas then on the flip side, people assumed it was either the Duggars or, which I know some people listening to this did grow up similar to the Duggars or um, who is that guy who protests at soldiers' funerals? Um, Fred Phelps. And, and feeling like and feeling like i had to explain that my parent like if my mom came to an event she wouldn't start yelling at people because they're gay but then at the same time yes my mom's very conservative and and n- people not really understanding where where i was coming from and where i where i'm at and i think that what i really want to create is a space where we can explore these ideas with an understanding and a shared a shared understanding that sometimes we're going to be really afraid because if we do this, we might go to hell. And that's going to come up. And we need to address that fear, even if it's supposed to be gone, even if we feel like that fear was supposed to be gone years ago. And we don't have to hear people say, but hell isn't real. No, it's it's real if you're afraid of it. Then let's have a conversation about that fear. That, that fear is real. To be able to work with someone who's been through this shit before and is able to, to work with you through the shit and be with women who are also in the same type of shit, I think is useful.
0: Um, is there anything else you wanted to share or does that feel good?
1: If this sounds cool to you, y'all, if you're also pissed off about the disconnect from the body, you want to connect to your body, you want to dance in the celebration of liberation with me, join me. Let's talk. You can go to my Instagram and DM me. Or, yeah, let's just keep it simple. DM me. There's a link in my Instagram to fill out the application. It is going to be a small, intimate group, and the application is available. And DM me and let's talk about it. If you have more questions than what is available on the landing page, because it's a beta, so it's changing, it's evolving, it's shifting. So I realize I'm not able to give those nitty-gritty details in the fullness of themselves. But there is tons of information online and on that link. And let's chat.
0: Well, that is all we have for you today. Thank you all for joining us. As always, subscribe, like, share. You can follow us on Instagram at Sex Positive Christian Feminists. You can find me, Rachel, at rachel.alba.coaching. And Lori, you can find her as well as a link to the application for that and DM her about the High Priestess Beta program at Lori Kimmerly. And if you are interested, In learning more about that program, you can look at www.laurikimmerly.com. And for anything related to sex coaching and Christianity, you can find me at sexwithspirit.com. Again, we are the Sex Positive Christian Feminists, and we will see you next week for another conversation about sexuality, spirituality, and feminism.
1: Bye!